I landed in Ottawa and I can remember it clearly. It was March and uh, switched, I got a rental car, switched the radio on and said, uh, today it's going to be a balmy minus 19. And I thought that is absolutely insane. Welcome to the Milk Bottle Shopify e-commerce podcast brought to you by Milk Bottle Labs, officially Ireland's top rated Shopify experts. Milk Bottle Labs build, upgrade and market Shopify stores all over the world. If you're not happy with your current platform, Milk Bottle will migrate your online business to the Shopify and Shopify Plus platforms with zero interruption. This podcast is supported by Rewind.io, the leading backup solution for your Shopify store, available in the Shopify App Store. Thanks for listening. Now over to your host, Keith Matthews. Hi folks, greetings from County Cork in the south of Ireland today, and thanks for joining us for episode 8 of the Milk Bottle Labs Shopify e-commerce podcast. I'm delighted to talk to Rob Lane today. Rob is the CEO of Rare, an email marketing platform for Shopify users. And today we'll discuss all things Shopify and all things startup. Rob is very, very active in the startup community in Ottawa and has been there since Shopify began. So today's conversation is a really broad, interesting conversation that Rob's journey across the world from Nottingham to Ottawa and the experience he picked up along the way. So Rob, thanks very much for joining us. Where are you calling from? Hey, um, hey Keith, great to be here. I'm actually calling from Ottawa, Canada. I'm actually staring across at uh, Shopify's building as we speak. (laughs) that's good the last time we met you were very good to join us and and to to support and sponsor our last meetup so thanks very much for that Rob that was great I loved the event we had a pint after and you were you had had an early flight to catch but you were also explaining how close you were to Shopify HQ so I mean that's the original home of Toby and and Shopify isn't it it is absolutely yeah in fact coffee shop they started above is literally uh, just down the street where I grab coffee every day you told me that evening that that you knew the, the the founders of Shopify before they even had an office. So that's connected to that that, that coffee story, isn't it? It is absolutely, yeah, yeah. Very a long, long time ago, um, or what it seems like. It's amazing when you uh, kind of look at where they uh, look at where they started and now look at the massive building they've got across the street here. It's fantastic. It's done amazing, amazing things for the uh, well, for certainly for Ottawa and, and and for Canada and now globally. You know, they're uh, they're expanding at a massive rate, which is which is great to see. And Rob, have they stimulated a big startup culture in Ottawa? Or the impression that I got from the outside looking in was that that startup culture was was already in Canada. Have they accelerated it? The simple answer is yes, they have. But uh, what I'd say is, is it's kind of going through a renaissance in that the, following the tech boom in you know the kind of two thousand. Ottawa was always a, a, a kind of telecom telecom city. You got Nortel here. You got a number of other big telecom companies here. And then overnight, that kind of they all exploded and went away, and and out of that kind of came some start some you know the, the kind of early seeds of the startup environment. But then uh, obviously Shopify started to grow, and a few other local startups have, have done very well. People like Clipfolio doing extremely well in the dashboarding space, and a number of others. And and one thing we see with uh, with Shopify now is. You know, we a lot of us still think of them as a starter, but really they're, and I don't know the exact numbers, but they're several thousand, 3,000 people. Um, and so we're actually seeing people that were there five and six, seven years ago kind of leave Shopify, having done very well, and step back, uh, still very young, because a lot of them were straight out of school when they joined. So some of them are, 
or a number of them are under 30. A lot of them are. And they're, they're, they're leaving. Um, they've, they've got some money to invest in the startup and so in the kind of environment. So we've seen kind of people that have been successful now become angel investors and kind of recirculating the money, which is absolutely fantastic. It's great to watch. It's interesting because... It, a lot of those, a lot of the staff are all, actually, you know, they're also maybe a lot of them are developing their own apps, setting up their own agency. So, yeah, it's it's certainly a great story. Rob, you're originally from the UK. Yep, I was born in Nottingham. Very good. I was in I, Nottingham is the home of the the National Water Sports Centre in uh, the UK, isn't it? It is. Where I had, where I had the great. Are you a skier? I used to know. I used to canoe quite a lot actually, oh, okay. and. Yeah, that's probably 25, more than 25 years ago. But I remember the facility was just phenomenal. It yeah, was, uh, I think it was built for uh, to Olympic standards. So that's that's how I know Nottingham. So Rob, just give us an insight into into how you ended up in Ottawa and, and how you ended up in the technology space. Because I'm aware of the fact that you're you're not just involved with Shapiro or Rare, you're also involved in the general startup community. So let's just give us give us some insight into in your journey. Long story short, born and raised in the in Nottingham. I did I did an undergrad uh, electronics degree at Leicester. Um, having done that, never wanted to be an engineer, uh, so went off and did postgrad marketing and business, and then ended up ended up working in uh, kind of big telecom companies. So worked for Fujitsu, worked for Marconi, but I'd always known I wanted to do something myself. And the reason I knew that is because I grew up in a, a catering business. My uh, my uncle. And my grandfather, my grandfather was a butcher, my uncle was a uh, baker, and he basically started a big catering business. And so I kind of grew up aged from about 10, scrubbing floors, cleaning ovens, and generally, you know, earning a, earning my pocket money, doing that kind of stuff, which I absolutely love. So kind of grew up around that environment, grew up around an environment that said, you know, you start work at 4am in the morning, and you finish sometime never. And, and then hopefully it, uh, it, it all goes well in the end. And, and I saw all the ups and downs of everything with that, but I just wanted it. I, I, I love the, the thought of actually being able to create something from nothing is what really inspires me. Joined, joined big company. I was a good corporate citizen for kind of eight years and ended up working for, because I think probably because I just felt like I needed to be. I needed to get a little bit of experience underneath me before I kind of stepped out. And then one day I was at Marconi um, and I was, I had this great title, which I felt I needed at the time. It was a strategic planning director. And I always wanted a job with the word strategic in the title because I thought that was it. I was like, that's cool. Rob, just to interrupt there, I had one of them one time and uh, <laughs> I, I, could, I, I couldn't wait to get rid of it. I felt like I needed it at the time. It was, it was good. I just, I just, I know because no one ever actually knew what it meant, which was great. <laughs> uh, and so at one of these meetings, uh, it was the uh, late 90s and Marconi were really expanding and they just bought a company in Pittsburgh. And in one of these meetings, the CEO said, well, we need somebody to go and set up this operation in Dallas. And I said, without even giving it a second thought, I just went, I'll do it. And he looked at me and he said, you've not thought about this at all, have you? Um, and I went, no. And he said, I'll tell you what, I'll give you 24 hours to think about it. And I'll take 24 hours to think about it. And if we're in agreement, then we'll do it. And so I did. And I came back and said, look, we've got, I've got this opportunity. I got a, I got a young son at the time and a wife that was pregnant with a number two. She said, yeah, let's do it. And so I commuted from the UK to Pittsburgh on a weekly basis for three months which was quite interesting. And then I've realized the business had got to be in Dallas. So I basically moved across and I set up the business. I 
kind of found the building with another guy, uh, pulled the kind of Cat5 cable and went from zero people to 150 people in two years, which was a wild ride. Obviously, it was a boom time of telecoms. Um, I'd obviously got a big uh, company behind me, so I didn't have to worry about things like fundraising, et cetera, et cetera. But everything else was me recruiting and building the team. So we did that, and it felt it felt successful. And then, obviously, telecom, the, the bubble burst. And one day, a recruiter called me, and I was getting lots of calls at the time, and a recruiter called me and said, hey, um, you've done the kind of big company internal startup. How about doing the real thing? And I went, yeah, that sounds great. And they said, the opportunities in Ottawa, Canada. I was like, yeah, you know, I've no idea where that is. I know where Canada is approximately. It's the country above the US. Never, never been yeah. there before. But chatted with my, my wife actually at the time was in New Zealand. My brother lives in New Zealand. She was down there visiting family. And uh, we chatted on the phone and said, hey, how bad can this be? You know, we've got an opportunity. I'm very opportunity driven. Let's go. So I moved to Ottawa when she was actually in New Zealand. And I said, hey, when you get back, there's going to be a removal truck here. They're going to pack it up and I'll see you in a month. And she'd given birth to our second child at the time. So she was with two kids and uh, that was it. I moved. I landed in Ottawa and I can remember it clearly. It was March and uh, switched. I got a rental car, switched the radio on and said, uh, today it's going to be a balmy minus 19. And I thought, that is absolutely insane. How can it be? How can you use the words balmy and insane and minus 19 in the, in the same kind of conversation? So that was it. That was my introduction to Ottawa. So you went from Dallas to Ottawa and how on earth did you acclimatize to that change of temperature? Well, Keith, I'll tell you, the year before in Dallas, we'd had, a, we'd had 90 days, consecutive days above 100 degrees. Um, and now I'm going to switch Fahrenheit to, to Celsius on you here. But, and then I moved to Ottawa and it was minus 19. And I can tell you, I got off the plane and I got a, a, like a, a jacket on, a, just a light jacket. I didn't, I didn't have a winter coat. I don't know what I was thinking about. I scraped the ice off the rental car with a credit card. I loved it. It was bright blue skies, really cold, and got used to it and just started to, you know, so stepped into a, a startup. I joined as kind of VP of marketing, but very soon took over business development, took over sales. We started raising money. And uh, that was in the kind of um, IPTV, uh, video over di- video on demand services. So did that and, and, and basically did that for five years. Um, Brought in Alcatel Lucent, which we ended up selling the business to in 2007. Yeah, got to, got to see the entire um, entire kind of end to end. So in Marconi, effectively, it was kind of entrepreneurial. You were building a team from you know zero to 100 miles an hour very yeah. very quickly. Then you went, you know, then you joined the startup. So was that startup sold while you were working for them, or did you just leave? No, no, it was, was, it was sold. The, the um, so I. I brought in, uh, I managed to bring in Alcatel as a, as a strategic investor, one of our investing rounds, and they were the guys that ended up buying the company. But uh, the, day the, the day the transaction closed, I left. I, to be honest, I'd, I'd done my days working for um, a 60,000-person company again, and so I left. And, and my plan, was, it, was, it was April, my plan was to basically take the summer off and say hi to my family again. And... Um, Foolishly, I had three weeks off and then decided to have coffee with a, a friend who was a VC. And he went, um, okay, you've had three weeks off. Um, stop slacking, get back to work. And I went, no, no, that's not happening. You know, I've spent five years of, of you know, running really hard. I just need a bit of time to kind of decompress. He went, yeah, 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 whatever. 
And he said, take a look at these things, which I did. And then, you know, like being an entrepreneur, you see stuff and it's like, okay, that's interesting. Met two guys, one from Israel, one from Canada. They said, we've got this idea about this technology around video. And I went, well, I know a bit of that, that space and I know how to raise money and I know how to build the front end of a business. So let's uh, let's do it. So I went back to this VC and said, look, hey, um, thanks for the intro. I don't know whether you're invested or not, but I'm, we, we, we're going. So that was it. After kind of four weeks of being off, I jumped straight back in. Uh, fortunately, my, my wife is uh, as insane as I am. So she was cool with it. And uh, off we went again. So that, that was number two. You moved from Dallas. You ended up in Ottawa. In Dallas, you were building a big mm-hmm. team and then you uh, entered a successful startup, with, which obviously had a successful exit. So you're, you're in Ottawa and you're, you're becoming part of the community. So how did you end up then with Rare? We sold um, the first startup in 2007. I then built another, this is how I got into e-commerce. So uh, because I spent time in video, uh, in, in the kind of uh, IPTV video space, I noticed that retailers were starting to use, were starting to use video in promotional purposes and YouTube was starting to get popular. But one thing I noticed that people were struggling with is, is retailers were recording these videos, which were a little bit longer than the 60 seconds, 90 seconds we see now. But what they really wanted to do was, you know, get people to buy. But uh, the kind of flow they took people through was watch this video and then remember to go to this place afterwards and click something to buy. And we said, wouldn't it be great if you could create a technology that basically enabled everything to be a hot spot clickable within a video? So you could do a promotional video, but if you liked a product in the video, you just clicked into the video to buy it. And so we built that technology and we sold it to, we raised some money, we ended up selling it to uh, L'Oreal, Macy's, Ralph Lauren, Tory Burch, and we're talking to Marks and Spencers, uh, and a number of other big retailers. And we were, you know, really interesting space. I was selling through uh, Oracle, ATG, IBM WebSphere, um, SAP, and, and, and those guys. It was interesting at the time that uh, Demandware was just coming on and basically they were saying to people, hey, don't, they were talking to retailers and saying, hey, don't spend $200,000 a month on, you know, IBM, spend 20 grand a month on us and we can do it much more efficiently, which is, if we fast forward to now, I'm now kind of seeing that repeat with Shopify Plus. They're saying, don't spend 20 grand a month uh, on us, you know, spend spend two or three or whatever it is. So it, it's really interesting. So that, that kind of got me into into e-commerce. That company was unfortunately got caught up in, we were on a massive growth curve, but unfortunately 2008, 2009 hit. I lost all my partners from the, their respective VC firms. And so we ended up uh, we ended up closing that business. So I'd, I'd now seen that, you know, one sale and one close. Then I thought a friend, I sat around a, a dinner table one night, a friend of mine bought the URL mymusic.com and never did anything with it. He was in the music space and I thought, I'd never, I've never built a direct-to-consumer brand or anything like that. So I thought, well, let's have a go. Let's build a music. I was into, I like, interested in music. Let's build a music search engine. So the idea was you'd go to my music, you'd search on a band, you'd, we'd pull all this back and serve it in what we now know as a kind of Pinterest-style format. We did that. We sold some advertising around it. Uh, we ended up selling um, the majority of that to a French company that came along. A friend, French multinational came along and said, we wanted uh, we wanted some of this. And uh, we went, okay, and sold it, which got me into Rare. I'd actually, um, Rare Logic, I'd actually met the founder, the original tech founder. So the, the history with this company is the tech founder built a uh, an analytics company that in 2006 he sold to Microsoft. And he moved from Ottawa to uh, Seattle. And when he was in Seattle, 
Microsoft started getting what we now know as big data requests, but they didn't want to do anything with them. They just kind of turned them away. And he thought, that's really weird. So he came back to Ottawa and basically invested all the money that he'd made on his uh, exit previously into building this database uh, that could analyze vast numbers of transactions and records extremely rapidly. He spent basically four years doing it, never launched a product. And so I became free. I'd, I'd, I'd known him. And I said, okay, um, what are you thinking of doing this? He said, well, I've done four years. I'm thinking of kind of, I'm done with it. I said, you know what? I know where there's a lot of transactions. E-commerce, let's put an e-commerce front end on it and let's build a predictive analytics package. So uh, we will tell the merchants what people are going to buy next, when they're going to buy it, and, and outline trends. So we launched with that. And because I built big enterprise sales teams before, I didn't want to go through that expensive loop of doing that. So we said, Let's build a front-end app on Shopify. And so we launched in 2014. Uh, we launched this analytics app, and we watched it for three months. And what we now know, which we should have known before, to be honest, is that analytics apps are great, but the problem is people look at them and then don't do anything. They kind of get up in the morning. If the numbers are going up, they feel great. And if they're going down, they feel not so great. And then they kind of get on with their lives. And we said, we need this to be more actionable. How do we take these predictions around these trends that these merchants are seeing and make them actionable? So we said, I know what we'll do. We'll put them into email. So, you know, there's a model whereby uh, you can send an email that says, um, I know what you're going to buy next. This is it. And I know when you're going to buy it. So this is when I'm going to send you the email. And that led us down the path of building this kind of full email service provider, which became rare. And so we never really set out to be in the email space. We set out to be in the use of data space. You know, don't bombard, don't spam people with uh, email and, and, and any sort of kind of communication when you should be using the data to target them more effectively. And, 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 and targeting is a bad word, but I think of targeting as just adding value. So if you, if you send me content at a time I like it, at a, uh, with stuff that I actually want, then you can target. You you can you can communicate with me every day. If I look at some of the best, you know, some of the best sites that I see now, I'm I get emails from them every day, and I read them all the time because they're in, I'm interested in it. And that was our basic premise: send less, send less spam. Your entry is interesting because you came from most e-commerce email platforms come from the commerce side, but you actually came from the data side. So effectively, you went from the ground up. Do you, do you think that that was an advantage? Like, in other words, did you understand data better than most people so you made less mistakes? Well, I thought, so we, we certainly understood the data better. And we, we knew for sure, because we had the data, that if I, that the results I could achieve for you by using data were infinitely better than you could do by spamming. So I knew that for a fact. But I can clearly remember sitting in Toby's office before we launched this, and Toby looked at me and said, are you really going to get into the email space? And I said, yes. And he said, you must be insane because there's, you know, it's a really challenging space to get right. And so whilst I think we knew the data space extremely well, and that helped us, understanding the email space and making, you know, a, a, and everything around that to get deliverability and everything perfect took us way longer than it should have done. And we had some misses early on. So, you know, first version of Rare early 2015, some of, we had some. We went through some real deliverability issues, whereby you know our IPs were being affected by certain store spamming, which affected everybody's IPs, and it dragged us down. So we ended up re, you know, basically rebuilding the platform in 2015 
to address all of that. So yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sure whether we, whether it helped us or not. The data side helped us, but not knowing what we didn't know in the email didn't help us. So, but anyway, we got through it. So, but but the rules, the, the rules around server behavior and, and server treatment of spamming emails is, is that kind of like Google? Is it constantly changing? Constantly, constantly changing, and actually, it's changed. It's changed more in the last year than it has in lots of other years. Because what we're seeing now is the big ISPs like Google are giving you. Uh, they're essentially rating you. So think about it in the in, in the similar vein to SEO. So SEO, you have a you have a page rank and a domain rank, uh, and that's how you get you know indexed better. Um, what the ISPs are doing now are uh, giving you a, a kind of a sender reputation. And so if you're someone that continually sends out email that bounces, that continually sends out email that goes to spam, um, the ISPs are going to look at you and they're going to rate you down. They're going to start blocking more of your email. Um, and so, and, and we see this a lot because obviously Shopify is such a big space. Um, uh, you see you've got merchants from the kind of part-timers uh, all the way to the, some really, really big retailers. And so, we, we've had to kind of educate people on, on that and say, you know, protect your store reputation. Sending, and it's a mind, it's really a, a mindset change we see because we still get a lot of people that come to us now and say, you know, my job is to send out two emails a week to this list of 30,000 people. And once I've done that, then I've done an email. And we're like, well, do you know that only 10% of those people are actually reading those emails? So you're, waste, you're spamming 90% of people. How ridiculous is that? Uh, and and they go yeah, but our jobs to send out this email list every week. Yeah, yeah, no, but send less email, but target them better. Send peer content, and so we're all about sending less but higher quality. And and also giving giving subscribe. Like obviously, you're 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 more aware of GDPR than anybody else. I, I assume. Yeah, so, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and the other, the other thing I think which has changed big time is the fact that you're giving every every user the opportunity to unsubscribe at every point, whereas. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we're um, we're very strict on that. We, we, in fact, we've we've been almost too strict for our own good at times, and we don't. I, I don't. I don't apologize for that. And what I mean by that is, we were very strict on, you know, GDPR and all this kind of double opt-in stuff, which wasn't in the U. You know, we, and we've had retailers in the US come to us, uh, you know, before GDPR was a thing in Europe, and say, "Look, you're too strict for us. We can't. You're limiting us uh, collecting emails." So, we, but that's fine. It is what it is. But Rob, Rob, just on that point, having gone through GDPR with a lot of our clients and having, you know, having watched it and, you know, listened to you guys and all of the other email providers, I think it was actually a, a very good exercise. Yeah. Because we, we had clients with 30,000, 100,000 email addresses. And, you know, as you say, they were, they were, their opening rates were only at 5 or 10%. So, you know, one particular client, we brought their database from 30,000 down to 15. It's now fully GDPR compliant and their, their opening rates are higher. So their numbers are actually real and they're actually communicating with real customers. Absolutely. So like, you know, the, 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 the KPI for your success of your business or the size of your business may be in Europe pre-GDPR, what's the size of your email database? But it's not anymore. It's actually forced, it's forced the customer to become more educated on, on the area of email and opening rates, click-through rates. It, it absolutely has. Um, another, another thing that we saw, which is really kind of, well, we built our, our second app around, which is email verification. Just, you know, it's quite emailable. It's in the app store. It's about, um, you know, verifying emails are real for all this stuff I talked about before, making sure you're not on a, 
your sender reputation is good, is that we were, as I'm sure you've seen, without naming names, this kind of exit intent boxes, this spin the wheel and get a discount kind of concept, which I I get. I I I you know I, I get that it's a good way to collect email lists. The problem with it is, is well, I, I've got two opinions on it. One is that it actually trains your customers to get a discount, which I'm not sure all merchants should be doing, but that's a different debate. Um, the second thing we were seeing is we got one customer that got a very, very good sender reputation. And anyway, he installed one of these spin the wheel apps and um, and then he imported the list and started sending it and it bounced to high heaven. And we, we automatically stopped when bounce rates go above a certain rate. And he got on the phone to me directly and he said, and he was yelling at me and saying, you know, you've stopped my email. I'm like, okay, let me have a look at it. Where do you get the list from? And so I started reading the list and people have put in, because it was never verified, people are entering, you know, Santa at Gmail, you know, Mickey Mouse at Gmail. It's like, okay, so you've built this massive list, but it's all bullshit. There's, there's, no, there's no real names in there. And so that kind of got us into this email verification app. Yeah. So just on that, Rob, it's funny because in one of the earlier podcasts, I interviewed Bjorn from Forsberg Plus Two. I'm sure you know Bjorn. He has the... Yeah. The orderly print apps and the orderly emailer apps. He he made a he made a remark that he noticed that there was a he couldn't believe how successful they were. But in, in our experience, you know, they're just some some, and I'm not particularly targeting that one. But there are certain apps out there that have an instantaneous effect on the visual look of the store. And to a merchant who's looking for short term gain, they think it's going to give them short term gain. So we have clients, for example, where we will build them beautiful stores. And if we go back to the store six weeks after, we'll see those pop-ups that are added. And I think half the problem is they're too easy to add. Yeah, absolutely. So if, if something is too easy, well, then ultimately the end result is not going to be as good as you initially thought, which is exactly what you've proven because people are subscribing with fake email addresses just to try and game the system. It doesn't make sense. Yeah, absolutely. One thing we saw in launching Rare is that you've got this, you've got a group of two, we, we view Shopify uh, now as two groups. And Shopify have started talking in these terms as well, which is probably where we got it from. You've kind of got the do-it-yourself group, the very the more sophisticated merchants that are, know how to run in our space email. And then you've got um, a lot of the kind of just do it for me. I, I'm, I create something. I'm a, I'm a creative. I'm a designer. I want to sell something. I don't know about email automation. I don't know about marketing. So just do it for me. So we, we Rare was very much targeted at the do-it-yourself. It's a full-blown email service provider. You can do all the creative and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but we recognize there's this big use, there's this big group of merchants that don't want to know how to do that. It's just like, tell me how to do it, which is why we launched recently launched Shop Hero. And the idea for Shop Hero was you put it on your store, you answer a few questions around the tone of your, you know, who you aspire to be, whether you're an Apple or whether you're a, you know, a Nike or, or what, what your basically style is. We create all the creative, we set all the campaigns up and you hit go. And we will do the email for you. We'll do the push notification for you. And it will just run because we know what, we know what works. And yes, we'll help you if you want to be educated about it. But the point is you can, get this up and running to allow you to just uh, continue doing what you do best. And that might be, you know, creating beautiful artwork or whatever. Uh, we want to we enable you to be creative rather than have to learn about email marketing automation. So that's why we did uh, shopping. And that's, that's, uh, that's new for us. That's only been in the App Store uh, about a month. And we're, uh, we're excited about that. 
So, Robbie, are you happy with are you happy with the success today? Yeah, we, I, I am. I'm, no, no, of course, you, well, you, you never are. You're never happy. No. Uh, and and like everybody else, we're trying to figure out the new app store listing, which has changed for everybody. It's reduced the number of apps. It's changed the uh, some of the visibility. So we're figuring all that out. But about what I am what I am happy about is I'm happy that the stores using it now. We've got a, we've got about a hundred hundred merchants using it. Um, is that it's generating results and uh, the 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 kind of app payment model that we're uh, we, we're using now and you know we're always testing is this is we get paid on success so this is not a fee upfront model this is a if we make you additional revenue then we'll take a percentage of that revenue albeit small because uh, because we don't I'm, I'm very conscious of the death by a thousand cuts in the app space whereby. You know, you've got merchants that are just installed this app and it's 20 bucks and just installed that app and it's 50 bucks. And, you know, before you know, you've got 20 or 30 apps and it's costing you $3,000 a month. Uh, and so we wanted to we wanted to kind of stand behind our results and say, we know we can make you money. We know the patterns and we know what works. And so we'll get rewarded on the back end of that. And if it doesn't work, then guess what? We don't get paid. But Rob, look, I'm going to thank you for your time. It's been really, really interesting. Chances are we will meet up at some point in the future at a Shopify event. And look, really, really appreciate your time. Thanks very much. Thank you very much, Keith. Thanks for taking the time to listen to episode eight of the Milk Bottle Shopify e-commerce podcast with Rob Lane from Rare. All of our episodes are available for download on Spotify and iTunes. Until next time, thank you very much.